Hello, welcome to Pilgrimage. It's good to have you with us. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm one of the priests at Holy Communion, and I'm recording this live. So if you happen to be watching live, you're welcome to ask questions in the comments on Facebook or on YouTube. But I'll be talking us through uh, the fifth, uh, the penultimate session of our pilgrimage class online today. And then a group of us are going to sign in on Monday, March 8th to talk about these questions. But we've been making our way through what our presiding bishop calls the way of love. And today we're talking about two of the practices on the way of love. Uh, those two practices are rest and prayer. And let's talk for just a minute about this idea of the way of love. The presiding bishop has offered it to the church as a rule of life, uh, as a set of spiritual practices. Uh, on our homepage, if you go to the pilgrimage class uh, under education, you'll find today's class and you'll be able to find a link to a video with presiding Bishop Curry talking about each of these practices. But it matters to frame Christianity, not just as an intellectual tradition, not just as a set of beliefs that you have to make your mind believe, but as a set of practices, a way of spiritually engaging in our world. And so the presiding bishop offers these practices, turn, learn, pray, worship, bless, go, rest. And I thought in this second to last session, we would look especially at the spiritual tradition of Christianity through the lens of rest. And we'll come back through rest to prayer. So let's talk a little bit about Shabbat. Sabbath. This is a video that I took in Jerusalem a couple of years ago, and you can hear the cacophony of the people as they are singing and dancing. This is on Friday, as you can see there on the Dome of the Rock, the gold dome there. As the sun is coming down, the people are swelling up against the western wall, the wailing wall of the temple to greet Sabbath. It's a question about how do we practice sacred time? In other countries, in Israel, it's hard to miss sacred time. On Sabbath night around Jerusalem, sirens blare to let you know Shabbat, Sabbath is coming. Throughout the day, the Muslim chants from the top of the minarets and the mosques, and you hear the sound of the call to prayer. Sabbath asks us how we mark time. And in some ways, Christians and liturgical Christians like Episcopalians are good at marking time. Right now, if you were to go into church or watch one of our broadcasts of Sunday morning, you'd notice a lot of purple. We're in the midst of Lent. Many Christians are in the midst of a discipline of taking on a prayer practice or giving something up. In some ways, we're good at marking time. But I wonder how good we are about marking the day today and how much more our faith, our spirituality could be an exercise in marking sacred time. 
And I think Sabbath is a good introduction to thinking about faith as an exercise in sacred time. This is another little short video I shot while I was in Israel a couple of years ago. And you'll notice this is, it was a week later and my spouse Alice and I were down in Tel Aviv and that little group of folks are at the beach and they've brought just a few things for their Sabbath dinner and they're watching the sun come down as they're preparing to welcome Shabbat. In Jewish tradition, Shabbat is welcomed like a house guest, uh, welcomed like that favorite uh, friend or aunt who comes to visit and bless us with graciousness. It's hard right now in the midst of a pandemic, so much of the way we mark sacred time is by gathering, by getting together. We're able to do a little bit more of that now as the weather is getting better outdoors safely. We could almost do what this group was doing at the beach, getting ready for Sabbath. But I think part of what we're all going to be negotiating in the coming months and years as we turn toward a new normal is how do we be intentional about how we gather, about how we mark time? So what is a spiritual practice? I would say that the lens of how we mark time is an important way of thinking about a spiritual practice. Uh, the dean of my seminary, Ian Markham, uh, liked to tell a story before he came to the Virginia Theological Seminary where I went to school he had been the dean of another seminary up in Hartford. And the Hartford Seminary was well known in part because it's one of the only places in the United States where Christians and Muslims come together to study for graduate degrees in religion. And so there was a pretty sizable Muslim student body at Hartford Seminary. And he said he was teaching a class that had Christian and Muslim students and a Muslim student came up to him at the end and, and sort of waited for everyone else to leave the classroom and then leaned over to him and said, when do Christians pray? And Dean Markham likes to say, well, I had to think about it for a minute. And I said, well, you know, sometimes I pray when I'm in my car and sometimes I pray. And he realized that she wanted a really concrete answer. There are fixed hours of prayer in Muslim countries when that Moisin is heard from the minaret, there are fixed times when Muslims are asked to pray. When do Christians pray? She maybe didn't mean it to be quite as harsh a question, but I do think that there is a real question there. How do we mark off time as Christians in each day? How do we mark off time to spend in prayer, in studying scripture? reading spiritual books? How do we set that time aside regularly? It's related to how do we weekly set aside time to rest, to unplug, to not engage in work? Our Jewish neighbors are much better at this than we are. I had a conversation at Theology on Tap a few weeks ago with my colleague Maharat Rory Pickernese, where she talked about the importance of the practice of Shabbat, of Sabbath uh, in her community and how even around Holy Communion, if you are out today on a Saturday around Holy Communion, you might notice Jewish families walking 
to their shul, either toward Base Abraham down by the loop along Del Mar or one of the um, more orthodox conservative uh, Hasidic shuls that are up more toward 170. But there is a line, um, a literal line around the neighborhood uh, that marks it off as all part of the same neighborhood. And so you can walk within the neighborhood around our church because you don't drive on the Sabbath. You don't get on your phone on the Sabbath. How do we make time to rest? And Sabbath is also an invitation to spend time with our family, with those around us, with our community. How do we make time to put down the phone? As some of us in the midst of the pandemic have had more time with our family than we might have wanted, but are we using it intentionally? Are we intentionally setting aside time for one another? Often in this class, uh, I would ask people, and if you'd like on Monday evening, bring your calendar, but I'll ask you to get out your calendar and look where are the times you have committed to rest? Where are the times you've committed to prayer? Where are the times you've committed for those you love? How committed to you are them if they're not there in your calendar? I love this sign. This is also from Israel. As long as you're getting travel photography from me, uh, this is from one of my favorite restaurants in the old city. Uh, because when you're in the old city, almost anytime you go out to eat or you're, you're looking for a place you can get on the Wi-Fi, check your email, things like that. But I love that if you go into this uh, little restaurant, it says, no, we don't have Wi-Fi. Talk to each other. How often do we turn our Wi-Fi off? Do we disconnect? How often do we disconnect from all the noise to connect to the deeper rhythm of God? I like Sabbath as a way into talking about practice, the way into talking about faith as a lived experience more than an intellectual tradition. How do we rest? How do we rest? In my own rule of life, uh, I've been working on a rule of life since before the presiding bishop came out with this way of love. And so I you know, have committed to worship weekly, to pray daily, to learn constantly. Uh, mine also includes uh, give generously. It was something a priest I knew in San Diego offered to folks, give generously, serve joyfully is one of my commitments. And then I added to mine, um, and it's been one that's been pretty hard this year to figure out how to do, but uh, take a pilgrimage yearly. That is to say, I take a retreat or I go off to a place like uh, Iona or Jerusalem in a really exciting year. And it might be as small as just taking a day away. Uh, our former associate, uh, Lori Anzalotti, used to talk about how she would take retreats down at the Forest Park Visitor Center. But taking time intentionally out of our usual rhythms can be an important grounding practice for our faith. So when do Christians pray? When do we rest? How do we make time for one another? How committed to, are we to that time? These are questions through which we can ask, how much is our spiritual tradition 
how much is our faith a spiritual tradition, a set of practices for us? We're back to this question of the rule of life. Again, can you commit to practices like turning, learning, praying, worshiping, blessing, going, and resting? In our last section, uh, in a couple weeks, we'll look at blessing and going, which may be two of Holy Communion's favorite practices. So having said what we have about Sabbath, about rest, I want to turn back to prayer. This is actually a slide from a couple of sessions ago. It shows you page 136 and 137 of the 1979 Book of Common Prayer of the Episcopal Church. In that session a couple of times ago, I said that it's important to think about uh, that you never pray alone in our tradition because you're holding the Book of Common Prayer, especially if you're going through one of these daily devotions for individuals or families or the more, you know, like thick daily offices that precede them in the book. There is the sense that there are fixed times to pray in the morning, at noontime, in the early evening and at night. Uh, the hours, the liturgy of the hours is a part of our cycle, a part of our rhythm in the church. It's what's offered to us by our tradition. But when you spend that time with those authorized prayers, with those, um, those specific readings that you'll find uh, kind of the bookmarks for on page 136, where the lectionary is, where it exists, that you can go look up the specific readings. In the midst of it all, I'd invite you to also take a look at what it says there on page 137, where it says, uh, a period of silence may follow. The Book of Common Prayer invites us to silence. And part of what's been happening for the last 60, wow, even almost 70 years in the church is a rediscovery of our faith as an invitation to contemplation, an invitation to silence. Again, in the links to these videos when I'm done and on the page for this class, you'll find another video from Richard Rohr, a Franciscan teacher who uh, gives a little bit of history about Thomas Merton and contemplative prayer, what contemplative prayer is. But at its basic, I would invite you in the midst of your prayer, find some time for silence. Contemplative prayer, it, it helps us encounter silence in the Christian tradition. There are all sorts of ways of contemplative prayer. Uh, now at Holy Communion, you can see in this picture, we have a labyrinth in the back of the church. So there are ways of contemplative prayer that are even bodily, physical, that you know, walking this little circuitous path helps us get out of our active mind and down into our body, maybe even down into our heart. Prayer, Richard likes to say, contemplative prayer teaches us that prayer is more than announcements to God, requests from God, a list of demands. Prayer is more than announcements to God. But, but he also says contemplative prayer is so simple, it is difficult to teach. It takes sometimes bodily practices, sitting upright, paying attention to breath, 
walking a labyrinth. You'll hear in just a moment, even chant can be part of entering into that silence of contemplative prayer. Not in the video, but in a book of Richard's that I refer to often called Everything Belongs. Uh, Richard talks about prayer as an inner posture, an inner posture more than a process, an inner posture more than a process. So here's some chant. This is from one of our contemplative gatherings from Advent a few years ago. You get the sense from that chant. That chant comes from a Christian ashram in India. It's both a, an ashram and a Roman Catholic um, monastery in the Benedictine tradition, um, a group called the Kamaldoli. It's a, a particular kind of Benedictines. Uh, but that uh, a couple of monks that went to India back in the early 20th century and tried to find a way to practice a contemplative tradition in India in a Christian way, adapted a lot of traditional Hindu chants, Vedic chants. Uh, there was an encounter with Merton, um, with these uh, monks that went to India. This, in the beginning of the, well, kind of, when you got into the second quarter of the 20th century and then right up through to today is really when Thomas Merton and Bede Griffiths and a number of folks start to Thomas Keating who founded um, the Centering Prayer Group uh, Contemplative Outreach. It was something about the encounter of Christianity with uh, Hinduism, particularly through Vedanta and with um, Buddhism, particularly the Zen teachers that come to California and then uh, through the Parliament of Religions kind of come all over uh, the uh, America and Europe. But there was something about encountering these traditions of Buddhism and of Hinduism that caused Christians to start asking again, what if we thought about our tradition as a way, as a set of spiritual practices rather than just an intellectual tradition? And it amounted to, in a lot of their estimation, a recovery, a recovery of something that had been part of our tradition from the early days a recovery of something that Jesus was trying to teach his disciples, that silence, that praying in your inner room, Thomas Keating liked to point to that reading that we have on Ash Wednesday from the gospel where Jesus tells people to pray in secret, but that silence is a part of our tradition. 
I'd invite you if you want a very introductory kind of experience of the contemplative tradition of silence to take a look at centering prayer. Uh, there's a link uh, on the page for this class to the um, uh, contemplative outreach, which is Thomas Keating's original group that teaches centering prayer. And there you'll find these four steps. Anytime centering prayer is taught, as Richard Rohr says, contemplative prayer is so simple, it can be hard to teach. Thomas Keating said it was just this. To practice centering prayer, you choose a sacred word. Might be one word, might be two. Might be as simple as let go, maranatha which is a Greek word for come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. But you choose a sacred word, anything that has a little bit of meaning to you, but it's important it's not something that gets your mind moving. You choose a sacred word as the symbol of your intention to consent to God's presence and action within. And sitting comfortably with your eyes closed, comfortably usually if you're in a chair means two feet on the ground, or if you're on the floor with your legs folded, in a way that they don't fall asleep, with your back as straight as you can muster, and a good deep breath. Sitting comfortably with eyes closed, settle briefly and silently introduce the sacred word as the symbol of your consent to God's presence and action within. And then you just sit in silence. And the real hope of centering prayer is that you are able to sit in mental silence as well, that you're not going through your shopping lists or experiencing what the Buddhists call monkey mind, where your mind is jumping from branch to branch, from thought to thought. But the reality is that everybody's mind does that. And so when you discover that you're engaged with your thoughts, you return ever so gently to the sacred word you don't use the sacred word to push your thoughts away violently. You just gently return to your sacred word. And Thomas Keating often used the image of a river that somebody sitting in centering prayer was sitting at the bottom of the river. And the thoughts that we had were like boats going down the river. And every once in a while in centering prayer, you're going to discover that you're on the boat going down the river. And you use your sacred word simply to sink back down to the bottom. At the end of the prayer period, which the Centering Prayer folks at Contemplative Outreach would say is 20 minutes, and a spiritual director or two of mine has often said, it can be five minutes, Mike. But at the end of the prayer period, remain in silence with your eyes closed for a couple of minutes. After the silence, you might find when we practice Centering Prayer in a group, we often finish by saying the Lord's Prayer together. When I practice centering prayer, it helps that in, the, uh, in those daily devotions or in many of the um, iterations of the daily office that I'll put centering prayer in the middle of, the next thing after the silence is prayer for others. I find that after a period of centering prayer, I'm a little more grounded to be able to pray for others. But give yourself a couple of minutes to return at the end of centering prayer. The contemplative prayer that centering prayer seeks for 
like much of what we've talked about today, it's a recovery. It's a sense of return, returning Christianity to being seen as a set of spiritual practices. Likewise, the practice of rest, the practice of rest of Sabbath, practiced intentionally can invite us to mark sacred time. These two, I hope, have given you a little bit of a glimpse of what we mean when we say that Christianity can be practiced. It can be a way of life, a way of love, the presiding bishop says, a way of living in our world, and not just a way of thinking. Thanks so much for spending some time with me today. Uh, those of you who are part of the class, I look forward to talking with you about uh, rest and about this way of thinking about prayer uh, when we gather on March 8th. And I look forward to, in a couple of weeks, uh, talking about the last two practices in the way of love, go and bless. Thanks so much.